Welcome to Speaking in First Draft, a Girls Right Now bi-weekly interview podcast series featuring the current and next generation of storytellers. In this podcast, our community members share a draft of one of their works in progress or completed pieces and discuss both the writing process and what creative expression looks like to them. Speaking in First Draft is hosted by me, Catherine Destin, the editor-in-residence and Mentee alumnae of Girls Right Now. Girls Right Now is a New York City-based nonprofit with over 25 years of history, breaking down the barriers of gender, race, age, and poverty to mentor and train the next generation of writers and leaders for life. It's a bonus episode, everyone. In this special installment of Speaking in First Draft, I, your host, speak with the incredible Chrissy King. Former strength coach, writer, speaker, educator, and Girls Right Now honoree, Chrissy joined me in the PNT Knitwear podcast studio during our 2023 anthology launch party to discuss her book, The Body Liberation Project, how understanding racism and diet culture helps cultivate joy and build collective freedom. Tune in to hear us get candid about body image, fat phobia, disordered eating, social media, and collective liberation. Apologies for any background noise you might hear, as the launch party was jumping during our recording session, but we hope you can still enjoy this bonus episode. I know I did. Hello, everyone. I'm here with the lovely Chrissy King today at our Girls Right Now Anthology launch party. Welcome, Chrissy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk with you. Yes, I'm really excited. And Chrissy King is the author of her newest book, The Body Liberation Project. But I'm going to let it you let you decide how you want to introduce it and tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so, yes, my first book came out in March. It's called The Body Liberation Project. And um, it's a book about body image, but also understanding body image through the lens of sex, sexuality, gender, race, um, white supremacy, racism, um, and how all those things affect our ability to feel good in our bodies. Um, and we talk a lot in the book about um, what the concept of body liberation really means and how we can work towards individual liberation and then collective liberation that's really exciting and i think that's something that if i'm being honest is not really talked about that much and you're seeing a cultural shift now but it's not happening fully yet so in your eyes it's not really well in my eyes at least it's not very socially acceptable for people to be candid about their body image struggles maybe relationships with food or body marginalization could you talk a little bit more about that and what your experience was writing the body liberation project i mean yeah i think that we are starting to see more of a cultural shift in which people feel more comfortable talking about that but i mm-hmm. think for a long time that wasn't the case i know for myself growing up um as a black girl, I did not feel comfortable talking about my struggles with body image or the fact that I was like struggling with wanting to be thinner or the fact that I felt uncomfortable in my body. I felt like I was not supposed to have those kind of issues. And I think that um, for so long, like eating disorders and thin white women were like the face of that. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't seem appropriate for me to be struggling with body image or to be struggling with disordered eating. Um, And so I think in talking about this book has been really healing. Talking about these topics in my book has been both really healing for me, but I also think, you know, writing through the lens of a black woman, I think it's resonated with a lot of folks that look like me and have similar stories to me that a lot of us share these struggles that we just didn't feel comfortable talking about. And even though things are changing, you know, that's still really the face of that. So were you uncomfortable at all? 
I mean, yeah. So I think I talk a lot. Uh, I was definitely uncomfortable. No, I shouldn't say uncomfortable. I know that I'd ruffle some feathers, I should say, in some mm-hmm. of the things I talked about, because I talk pretty in-depth about body positivity in the face of mainstream body positivity, right? And the fact that the original body body, body positivity movement was founded by fat black and brown women because mm-hmm. they didn't see themselves represented in mainstream society. And then like, as the movement has become more commercialized and co-opted and whitewashed we really see thinner bodied white women as the face of the body positivity movement and sometimes when you look at the hashtag on instagram you'll see pretty thin women like hunched over trying to accentuate a role or trying to accentuate cellulite and um i i think that that's so problematic for a lot of reasons um number one uh, there's a real big difference between having a personal body image issue, which all of us can have, mm-hmm. and not liking your cellulite or not liking your stretch marks. That's a personal body image issue. That's completely different from living in a body that is systemically oppressed because of the way it looks. Mm-hmm. And so we're conflating two issues. Um, and I think it's also like really harmful because now, as like I said, thinner white women have kind of become the face of the body positivity movement. Like the very people who founded the movement have been like pushed to the side of the exactly. movement. Um, and that's really harmful as well. And so um, I think that's like a really complicated conversation to have, especially in a social media space, because people get really um, frustrated right away when you mm-hmm. start talking about that. Um, and again, it's like never to discredit people's personal body image issues because we all struggle with that. But the original body positivity movement was rooted in social justice and so if we are not fighting for justice for the most marginalized among us then we're not actually doing the work of body liberation or body positivity and so i think that we always always needs to be really clear on uh like the purpose of the work we're doing mm-hmm. how we're doing it and again through the lens of intersectionality that we are working so that the most marginalized among us have freedom to exist in our bodies Exactly. And I mean, while you were talking and then you brought it up, I thought of, you know, Instagram and social media where it'll be like Instagram body and then real body. And then it's just like them after eating tacos. Is it? Is it? <laughs> or like they, they like unposed a little bit. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And I've even heard, I mean, this is alleged, but I wouldn't be surprised, which is people editing their before photos to look more exaggerated. I wouldn't be surprised. It's just, to be it's so silly. And I definitely can agree with this is a movement that was started by fat black people. And just to see sort of that erasure, you just go, what? Yeah. And even what you were just talking about, like these before and after, right, which is like a slight difference, like your stomach Mm -hmm. looks a little bloated now, or like you look like you relaxed your posture. Um, Again, it's like when I just I feel like when people post pictures like that, again, we're like taking away from like the actual issues that we have. And unfortunately, I think with social media, like the bar is so low that people Mm -hmm. are like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I'm like, no, I think we've missed the whole purpose here. We've missed the whole point. We've missed the mark. (laughs) There's so much work to be done. Um, And so, again, I think why, you know, talking about that in my book was so important is because I think that is such a big part of um, all of us being able to work towards body liberation and healing our relationship with our bodies is also to understand the history it's how to got where we are today and um again the, the importance of making sure that we are not erasing people for movements exactly and i mean this is something that i've been thinking about a lot um which is you know people do like you said people struggle with body issues and they see themselves in the mirror and they have this fear or whatever um But I think there's also something to be said about like internalized fat phobia Mm -hmm. and how sometimes it's not to really question and say, do you have body image issues? But sometimes I want to go like, is that what you're struggling with or are you just fat phobic? Absolutely. (laughs) And I think when we talk about fat phobia, anti-fat bias, it really is like 
um, it's so ingrained in the culture of our society. Mm-hmm. And I talked about this once on a different podcast. I was talking about this idea of like, it's easy to say, oh, I'm not fat phobic because we think of fat phobia as like the fear of fat people, right? Mm-hmm. Or the dislike of fat people. And so it's easy to be like, oh, I don't dislike fat people. And I always say, but if you woke up in a fat body exactly. tomorrow, how would you feel? And when you really sit with that question, that's when you can really start to say, okay, this is actually where my anti-fat bias sits. These are actually, this is actually how I'm like, you know, sitting in the space of fat phobia. And these are the things I need to continue to unlearn mm-hmm. because I think it's super easy to be like, oh no, I respect everyone's choices for their body. But then if you were in their larger body, would you be comfortable with that? And that's where we can start to see where our actual anti-fat bias and fat phobia really sits. Mm-hmm. And then we can start to unlearn those narratives and dig a little deeper with curiosity and compassion, of course, but to see where we really feel and how we really sit with ideas about bodies and our own bodies as well truly truly and definitely like if you woke up in it would this be something you're still comfortable with um it makes me think of people who go like do i look fat in this yes or you know they feel really insecure because they just finished eating right and they're bloated yeah i'm like you just nourished your body it's having a natural response literally doing what a body is supposed to do and also to your point of even like this question when people say like do i look fat like that question is inherently fat phobic Mm -hmm. Um, because again, fat is a descriptor, just like skinny is a descriptor, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like a descriptor of the size of our bodies. Um, and so when you even say like, do I look fat? It, like that question in itself is saying that you believe there's something wrong with looking that way, exactly. right? And you don't want to be looking that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to your other point, it's like, uh, yes, you eat and your stomach gets bloated. Like that's just your body <laughs> doing its thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's totally okay. Um, and like, why would we expect our bodies to perform differently than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sorry, I'm just like, now it's just bringing so much up in me, but it makes me think too about flattering angles or like flattering clothing. I mean, I remember growing up, I come from a family where pretty much everyone is fat in some way, or there's a few outliers, but people, you know, they'll say, they won't say, oh, you look like this. It'll be like, this thing looks more flattering on you or it hugs you better. Or I think about for myself, just as a curvy person. It's like, especially with my mom, it'll be, oh, you know, don't wear that because it shows. But it's like, no matter what, I'm still going to have this feature on my body. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Um, I, I mean, I just think I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I feel like I've been seeing more of that type of content on TikTok, like dressing to flatter your body mm-hmm. size. And I'm like, or just dress in whatever clothes you want to wear, right? Exactly. Like, I'm not uh, trying to camouflage the size of my body. Like, this is the size of my body. So people are like, oh, don't wear stripes or don't wear this or don't wear that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm going to dress whatever way makes me feel happy um, because this is the body that I exist in and I'm not trying to hide it. I'm not trying to dress in a way that makes it appear different than what it is. Mm -hmm. Like this is my body and the way that I dress and fashion is an expression of how I feel. And so I like to wear lots of bold colors and lots of patterns, which they would probably say people in larger bodies should stray away from. But like, that's what I like to wear and that's how I like to express myself. And for me, you know, bodies change. I talk about that a lot in the book as well. Like bodies are always going to be changing. That's what they're supposed to do. Like from the time we are born to the time we pass away, we're going to have so many different iterations of our bodies. And so for me, the work is always like, how do I love and embrace and find joy in the iteration of the body that I currently have and dressing in a way that makes me feel good and that I like. And that's what makes me feel more confident in my body. And what makes me feel confident in this version of myself is just embracing it and dressing in the way that I want to dress it in without thinking of like, oh, is this flattering or mm-hmm. are these the right colors or these the right patterns? It's like, no, I just want to wear what feels good. Exactly. It makes me think too about 
you know, the current fashion trend and sort of the return to Y2K. Yeah. And <laughs> slow cut jeans. Oh my god. They're never coming back from me. No. I don't care what happens. No, <laughs> absolutely not. And it's always so funny. People are like, oh, Y2K, it's back. And I'm like, honestly, a lot of Y2K to me was pretty ugly. That's yeah. just my take. I'm not going back. No. <laughs> but I, I don't, maybe what's your thoughts on this? Something I've been thinking about is, I mean, fashion already cycles every 20 yeah. years, so we were bound to have it happen. But in my head, I feel as though it was expedited yes. because of the pandemic. And in my head, I thought about so many people felt really insecure about their weight gain mm -hmm. in lockdown. Yeah. And seeing so many people going like, I gained five pounds, I gained 10 pounds, which is like, you're alive. We're here. <laughs> We're here. Like, that's something to celebrate, right? Exactly. We made it through, like, a global pandemic on the other side, and we're still here. Like, that's the thing to celebrate. Exactly. Yeah. And so seeing sort of this return to, like, this super skinny yeah. heroin chic, sometimes I just wonder to myself, are people, like, because they're so, like, oh, I gained this weight, I've got to lose it and look this way. I have a lot of thoughts on this because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, as you just mentioned, like mm -hmm. the New York Post put an article a few months ago that BBLs were out, hair yeah. and cheek is back in. Um, I feel like we're seeing an uptick in diet culture in terms of like Ozempic and Manjaro and we're seeing all this happen. And I've been thinking about this a lot um, because I think that anytime, I, I felt like prior to the last couple of years, I felt like we were making progress in terms mm -hmm. of like, body confidence and people being more accepting and seeing more inclusivity and more brands embracing like exactly you know including people in different body sizes in their campaigns maybe someone was performative but regardless i thought that we were moving in a better direction and then i feel like the last six months felt like a very opposite like whiplash almost and so i've been thinking about that a lot lately and i think it's a couple things number one i think that like diet culture is really insidious and like diet culture functions on us being insecure in ourselves and so you know anytime i feel like we as a collective are making progress diet culture is like get that out of here because <laughs> if we all accepted our bodies and embraced our bodies then we wouldn't be spending billions of dollars diet industry is an 80 plus billion dollar industry right yeah we wouldn't be spending billions of dollars to quote unquote fix ourselves um and also like the fashion industry and the beauty industry also thrives on diet culture as well mm -hmm. and so i think you know i've been thinking about this whole phenomenon as well as thinking about like 2020 and George Floyd and like this racial awakening and this renewed commitment to anti-racism but now I feel like it's also flipping yeah and so I feel like anytime there is like a move towards dismantling systems white and white supremacy is the, the overarching system for race that you know racism but also to our feelings about our bodies is is tied to white supremacy as well and so i feel like anytime there's a collective movement where we're like working towards dismantling that there's like always a harsh pushback because mm -hmm. to be true truth be told like people really benefit from those systems existing and mm -hmm. if those systems were to crumble that would like drastically change the way we existed in the world also would affect capitalism and so i think there's always a pushback when we're trying to make progress in a certain direction you said the c word you said the c word <laughs> capitalism <laughs> yeah no, that was definitely right through my brain like should i say it should i say it? yeah but it i agree it's you know they're not gonna make a profit off yes. of it if you love yourself and yes. I mean, there's so much to be said about beauty standards being telling women especially to hate themselves especially that okay this is reminding me so at the awards i don't know if you remembered but it's something that still sticks with me yeah which is when you talked about your book coming out and i'd said to you I'm writing about a similar thing, and I had said, I'm gonna steal from you. And I'm like, no, wait, that's not what I meant. Borrow. But yes, I'm <laughs> yeah. borrowing. Yeah. Um, 
But at the time I was writing one of the essays for it and I was talking about also how men are often taught to hate their bodies, Absolutely. but it's just in such a different way because women are told, you know, it's fashion and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But then I was, I was particularly thinking about, um, so I watch a lot of old TV mm -hmm. and I'll see ads targeted towards men in like their forties and up for like erectile dysfunction mm -hmm. or prostate things. Yeah. And something I thought about a lot is men are told to hate themselves because of like a lack of performance yes. or they're not super muscular and they'll hire like these ex-football players or these ex-professional sports people who obviously have access to the best of food, the best Trainers, of gyms. chefs, exactly. all of the things. So yeah. it's like, it'll be, you know, this very famous person whose name I shall not say being like, I use this thing yes. and now I'm super buff, but yeah. it's like, sir, you're a multimillionaire. All the other things too. Let's talk about all the other things. <laughs> Exactly. So I think there's so much to be said there. Um, and with the Body Liberation Project, what are you hoping will come from the representation you provide? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wrote the, I always say the book is for anyone who lives in a body. So all of us. <laughs> um, but I talk about my experience as a Black woman because I think um, there's just not enough books that talk about our unique experiences. Um, but I truly believe and hope that anybody who reads the book moves towards liberation for themselves because I do think that no matter race, sexuality, gender, so many of us are struggling with image, self-image or body image issues. And, um, you know, for me, when I was like in the depths and throes of diet culture, it was like, uh, like it was so obsessive for me, like, mm -hmm. and all of my mental energy went towards the shrinking of my body. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to heal my relationship with body image and move towards liberation, it set all of that energy free to create my specific magic in the world. And I think that we all have specific magic in the world to share. It's going to look different for all of us. Um, but my hope is that more of us move towards liberation. Um, because I would say, what would the world look like with millions of liberated folks walking around? I don't even know if I can fathom. That. I don't know if I can fathom either. Um, but I hope that little by little we get closer to that. That's really beautiful. Thank I you. Couldn't agree more. Um, do you have any advice for young people like Girls Right Now mentees who want to be writers or activists in this space? I mean, I I love this question. Um, and my advice is just follow your, I, I say follow your intuition because I think for me, I five years ago, if you would have asked me what I'd be writing a book right now, I would have been like, no, that doesn't even make any sense, <laughs> right? And, but I always just kept sharing my truth in my own little ways right and i think sometimes it's hard to fathom how i for me anyways it was hard for me to fathom like like again yeah, if you had told me i was gonna write a book i was like how would that ever happen that makes no sense and i remember when i first started writing and sharing about things it was probably like 2017 ish so probably like five or six years ago and i didn't have a platform i didn't have any audience i didn't have anybody reading my work it was just me and oftentimes i felt like i was just like talking to no one right <laughs> And, but I just kept doing it and I kept talking and I kept sharing and then slowly people started reading and more people started reading and more people started sharing. And it was never like my message changed. I was always like writing about the things that were important to me. Then people just started showing up to listen to it yeah. though. And so I think my advice for people is share what feels authentic to you, feel, think, share what feels true, share the thing that feels really scary to share. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember the the article that I remember that first people actually started reading, wrote entitled, it's fitness only for thin white women. And it was like the scariest thing at the time that I'd ever done. Yeah. 
Um, but that was the first article that people started reading and sharing. And people were saying like, oh my gosh, I, I, I so resonated with what you talked about. Like I've been feeling this way for a long time. I didn't know how to express it. And so I think the thing that feels really scary, that feels really intimidating to us and to your soul, that's like for me, my guidance of like, this is the thing I do need to be talking yeah. about. Um, and so my advice is just keep writing and just keep sharing your work. And I was really blessed a few weeks ago, I was at a book fair in Baltimore and I was blessed to be at a table next to Nikki Giovanni. Um, and she was like signing books at a table next to me. And so I got to talk to her for a few minutes. And uh, one of the things she said is like, she was asking me if this was my first book. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I didn't even ask her for advice. She was just like, just keep writing. Like, that's the magic. It's just like, just keep doing the work. And so I think that's the magic for all of us. Just keep showing up, keep doing the work and like do the work without thinking about like what the results are going to be because it's going to reach the people it's supposed to reach and the time it's supposed to reach them. And it's always going to be in a way that you probably could never predict. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that just shares why vulnerability is so key. Yeah. And I think you said it earlier where it's... um white supremacy really forces us into silence and yeah. just not talking about it. And so when you finally, you know, break that barrier and you go, I'm going to share this thing that really scares me. really scares me. <laughs> so many people are like, I've been scared too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, Audre Lord, I'm going to like butcher the quote, but basically <laughs> it's like when I am doing something in service of my vision, it becomes less and less important whether I'm afraid or not. And I think that's been the guiding light for me because I there's very few things that I don't get scared to do or very few topics that I don't get scared to write about. Um, I'm already thinking about things I want to write for my next book. It scares the crap out of me just to think about that I'm going to like say these things publicly. But but I know that's the next work that I'm supposed to be doing. That's really yeah. exciting. And a little bit earlier, you talked a bit about imagining a world with liberated people. Could you talk more about um, cultivating joint collective freedom? I believe you talked about that in your book as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, you know, I talk about collective liberation because none of us are free unless all of us are free. Amen. And that's the reality of it. And I think, you know, oftentimes we like to think that we leave, like we live the separate lives from people, but we're all interconnected. Um, and so when I talk about body liberation, but even just like liberation in general, like, you know, the work is to find my own personal liberation. And then it's to say, how can I help other people find this liberation so that all of us have freedom? Um, and again, this is why I talk about collective, the collective so much, because um, when we work to set free the most marginalized among us, it frees up all of us. Um, and for me, it's like, what, what's the beauty in having personal liberation if the people around me are still bound? Exactly. And so uh, that collective piece is so important. And I also know that when we have collective freedom and we have personal freedom and we work towards collective freedom, I think that all the beautiful things happen on the other side. I think all the beautiful things happen when we get to a place of liberation. If it wasn't for me healing my relationship with body image, I would have never wrote this book. I would never be, I probably wouldn't be living in New York right now. I probably would, you know, so many things would be different. I often talk about that when I really healed my relationship with body image, because for a long time, I think for a lot of us, our bodies are the thing that we can control when other things feel out of control, mm -hmm. right? So like, maybe I don't want to address the real issues. I'm like, but I can make my body smaller. I can put all my energy and my focus on that. And so then it's like when I healed my relationship with my body image and that wasn't the problem anymore, the problem, quote unquote, that wasn't the thing I was trying to maintain or like, you know, exert control over. Then I was like, oh, there's all these other things happening in my life actually that I haven't been addressing <laughs> and I haven't been dealing with. And it really forced me to address some of those things. And 
you know, even addressing things that that are difficult in their lives is really challenging. And it's like not without um, a lot of, I would say, like ugly tears and like screaming into pillows and all of these things. Mm-hmm. But um, through that process, I, I feel like I found who I really am. And so I just think there's so much beauty in giving ourselves the space and the time and the mental capacity to really think about our lives in different ways. And so much of that happens in healing and liberation and setting ourselves free. The control part is really sticking with me too. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, just for you as a black woman, there's already so little, I mean, me too, but yeah. so little control we do have. Yes. So it's like, all right, I've got my body. Like, yes. But then you come, we're coming from a lineage of people who never had control. Who never had control of our bodies, bodies. right? And I think this is what's, this is why I always say for all of us, no matter where we are on our journey to liberation, it is so key to show ourselves compassion and kindness. Yes. Because as you just said, when you live in a black body, a brown body, and you already have like a, a systemic oppression in the world, and for those with more intersecting identities, you have even more things that you're dealing with in the world. Maybe the body feels like the one thing that I can control, the one thing that can give me proximity to privilege or proximity to beauty. And so I think that for all of us going through this journey, it's like to be kind and compassionate with ourselves because there's any myriad of reasons why we might on any day feel like, oh no, I think if I just lost weight, that's the thing that would fix it for me. Um, And it's like, yes, we could think that. And in reality, also, that's not the thing that's really going to fix it for us. Yeah. But what you also said was so key is like, I think so true. Like as black women, my ancestors didn't have autonomy over their bodies. Right. And so for me to exist and choose freedom and liberation for myself is an act of resistance. Yes. Snap, snap. I hate the snaps, but it's (laughs) so true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if I can just share a little bit about myself, I mean, I think about back when I was in college, I was preparing for like this super rigorous um, hike I was going to go on. I was a part of this thing called a Camino where I was going to Spain and we were going to walk 200 miles in two weeks. Whoa. I know, really intimidating. And so I just had like a lot of like past experiences of being like the fat person who was left behind or like constantly like holding people back. So in prep for it, I was like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to like eat healthier and I can prepare, which I mean... I think naturally wanting to like prepare for something physically strenuous for the most part is an okay response. But the thing is I had taken it too far. And I just remember like, I didn't realize it until about years later that I basically developed an eating disorder wow. and was um, working out so often. And I had friends who were like, you're not eating enough. And I just joke and I'd be like, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And you know, and just going, well, I already have enough weight on me anyway, so it's not mm. a big But then you realize, oh, I wasn't nourishing myself. I wasn't eating before I worked out. I was, like, working out for two hours multiple times a week. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be said, too, and it's just, like, as a Black person, you, like, okay, I'm going to change for myself, and then already women are already experiencing these pressures. And so especially under this guise of, like, preparation for something, which is just a human response, you end up just losing yourself in the process. Yeah, and it's so easy to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's so easy to do, and it's so easy to not pay attention to our bodies, too, mm-hmm. right? Or to not really give our bodies what they actually need. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of circles, I'm like, I'm glad your friends were like, you know, hey, you're not eating enough. But in a lot of circles, that's like even praised, right? People yes. are like, you have so much discipline, you have so much commitment. Yes. Like, you're working so hard, eating so little. Good job, yes. right? <laughs> so, um, and I think also, like, 
the culture of the culture we live in that's like very hyper focused on like having a smaller body you get praised for like i remember when i was in my thinnest body no one ever very few people my family yes but outside of that everyone was like oh my gosh you look so, so good. good they didn't even care what i was doing to get there they didn't care yes. if i was miserable they didn't care that my mental health was in the drain mm-hmm. they, they were just like oh my god you look so great how did you do it exactly yeah. and it's like i starved myself Thank i you. haven't been eating and i work out 20 <laughs> hours a week <laughs> you know? yeah no Is that okay yeah <laughs> no exactly and um that was pretty much it. I had lost, I think, 30-ish pounds in a little bit less than a year, mm. which, I mean, when done healthily is possible, but I had not done it healthily. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just led a lot where I was just like, oh, um, I look good. People are complimenting yeah. me. And I mean, we don't even have the time, but then you can go into like the conversation about desirability and Absolutely. it's like people are noticing me more. Yes. That's a whole nother conversation. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yes. And I've just seen people talk to you about like, just as a fat person, people don't treat you like a human being. Yeah. And so like when I was seeing, not even just to being desirable, but when I lost the weight, I was like, oh, people see me. They notice me. I'm not invisible. No, <laughs> it's insane. And that's actually the thing that, you know, I didn't even get into in the book too much, but you're so correct. Like, like when your body changes, you notice how people treat you differently. Yeah. You notice that you get less attention or more attention. Like people, yeah, like it's very real. It's not like make-believe. No. It's like people actually treat you differently. They do. They yeah. do. That, we're going to have to do another episode. Right? <laughs> but um, wrapping up, in your forward for the newest anthology, On the Other Side of Everything, you've discussed coming back to your love of writing and yeah. we've been talking about that. Was there a time where you resented or avoided writing? Um, I I don't think I ever resented it or avoided it so much as like, um, I just got pushed to the wayside. Mm-hmm. So I will say that I grew up, uh, like reading and writing like all my free time when I was like, uh, you know, like nine and 10, I wanted to read books and write stories. Um, and then like so much, I think of like my adolescence in my high school was just, um, because of family circumstances, mm-hmm. it felt very much like we were in survival mode. Yeah. And so when I was in that space, my mind was like, okay, how am I going to get a stable job, make money so I don't feel insecure and like I don't mm-hmm. have this feeling of insecurity. And so that was my focus. And, and so I think I just forgot about writing because I was just like, that didn't seem like the thing that was going to make sure I was stable. Um, and and coming back to writing though has been so beautiful and it's like, oh, I love this so much. I love expressing my way, myself in this way. Um, so I don't think I've ever resented it. I think it took a backseat for a really long time, um, but I'm really grateful that it's a big part of my life now. And it's also so interesting to think, like I always tell them like, you know, like I journal a lot. So I'm always like my younger self would be like so proud of where I am now and just like never could have imagined that like these things would happen. and. Actually, on the day that my book was published, it ended up being on a billboard in Times Square, which was like totally unexpected. And I was just like, oh, my 10 year old self would be like freaking out right now at this moment. And so it just seems like a beautiful like uh, journey to getting to where I am. That's so sweet. (laughs) So, yes. Thank you, Chrissy, for talking with me today. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Uh, I just say thank you so much for having me um, and letting me talk about my book, The Body Liberation Project. And uh, it's just an honor. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for coming. It's been really great talking with you and getting candid. And I'm really excited to hear what folks have to say. Um, You already gave advice, but any other advice you have for young people? Um, I think, you know what, like I just, I think take your time. Like, um, I mentioned before that I got a chance to meet Nikki Giovanni. She's going to be 80 this year. Wow. Um, and she was like, how old are you? And so she, she asked me that. And I was like, I'm 37. She's like, oh, 
you got so you're just getting started <laughs> and so i think oftentimes especially now at the age of social media we see people that are really young but like accomplish so much and we start to feel like we're not doing enough or you should be further in life and i think my advice is just like take your time there's no rush to get to things and also everything on social media just isn't true anyways mm-hmm. but take your time be patient nourish your craft and just uh things will unfold in the way they're supposed to unfold in the right time yeah, yeah, I could, couldn't have put it better. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you again, Chrissy. And everyone, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you again to Chrissy King for speaking with me and for sharing her beautiful vision of liberation with all of us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in this bonus episode of Speaking in First Draft. Check back bi-weekly on Wednesdays for a new episode and make sure you subscribe to Speaking in First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Much like the drafts in these episodes, we're just starting out and we'd greatly appreciate any feedback you have. Leave us a review wherever you listen to this episode and tell your friends. This episode is a production of Girls Right Now and was recorded at PNT Knitwear Podcast Studio in New York's Lower East Side. It was edited and hosted by me, Catherine Destin, and produced by Vani Kura and myself. See you next time, and happy writing.